Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. And I'd love it if you have a Bible, if you'd turn in your Bible to Luke's Gospel, that's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and to chapter 10, and to perhaps one of the most familiar stories that Jesus tells. And so, you know, almost anyone here, if you've, if you've hung around church for, you know, a year or so, you could do this sermon today, and you could preach the passage, because we're going to look at the, pa- the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, um, you know, we've told the story before. We know that there are people who pass by this dude who's been beaten up. And, and, uh, and, and there are a hundred sermons that you could preach on this and maybe a hundred sermons that I have preached on this. But I want to give you maybe a slightly different perspective because I want to talk about courage. Um, and as we, as we come to the end and conclusion of a, a sermon series that we've called Stand and we've taken a look at identity and what it means to be fathered by God... And we've taken a look at purpose and what it means to take hold of the things that God has for us. And we've taken a look at opposition and what it means to be opposed by the enemy of God and how we stand helpfully in that kind of opposition. We're going to finish with courage. What do we take into this world and how do we take it into this world? And how do we get involved in this world? How does our Christian life become more than just this you know, not that this is bad, but how does it become more than just sitting and listening and standing and singing and praying stuff and then coming back next week and doing the same thing? Uh, what is this courage stuff? What is boldness? What does it look like to be involved in our world in a way that makes a difference for the kingdom of God? You know, uh, one of the things that I discover as I get older is that not many people really live. You ever thought that? You know, it may be a miserable thought on a Sunday morning, but not, not many people really live. There's lots of people who actually live, but not many people who really live. So many people I, I, I meet get towards the end of their life and they have huge regrets. I never did this. Why didn't I do that? I never took hold of it. I never grabbed out life. I never went for it. I just, I just kind of coasted. And so many of the things that prevent us embracing life are inhibitions, not prohibitions. They're things inside of us that prevent us going for it, that prevent us living it, that prevent us running with the dreams that God has placed in our hearts. And so I think God wants to talk to us today about courage, about taking hold of stuff, about taking risks. So turn with me to Luke's Gospel and chapter 10, and we're going to read together. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus has been uh, training his followers, his disciples, and he's been training them in this kind of taking hold of life stuff, this risk stuff. He's been sending them out, and they've been having a go, and they've been getting it right, and they've been getting it wrong, and it's kind of on-the-job training, and, uh, and then he tells this story. We hear this story. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind 
and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we have this um, audacious thought in our hearts that this is your living, active word. And therefore, it's going to do something. Lives are going to be changed. People are going to be healed. Stuff is going to be transformed because your word is spoken. So Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to inhabit your word and change our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus shows up and, um, and he's got this incredible message. He's God in flesh. And, and the message that he's God is that you can know God. And you can have an intimate relationship with God. And God is not a place and God is not found in a place. But God is now going to dwell in the hearts of those who love him. You can know God. And the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, is at hand. It's so close, you can reach out and touch it. The place where the perfection of God's reign, his compassion and his mercy and his love and his joy, and everything that is God is. It's an incredible thing. And people were wowed by it. And then Jesus puts his money where his mouth is, and instead of just talking about the kingdom of God, he embodies the kingdom of God. He comes and he dies on a cross, and our mess and our shame gets dealt with. We get forgiven and we get restored, and we get healed up because of the blood of Jesus. And then he says, because of this, you can have life. You can have life in all its fullness. You can walk in lockstep with the creator of the universe. You can participate in his plans for this world. You get life in the way life was always supposed to be lived. But in order for you to have this, you have to take it with both hands. You have to embrace it. I want to talk to you about courage. What does life actually look like when you cut it what does it bleed what does it what does it look like to have faith in Jesus what tangibly does it look like 
What does this God in me look like? What does this God life look like? And so Jesus tells this story. A lawyer approaches him. Now, when you read lawyer in the scriptures, probably an expert in Jewish religious law. So this is not a litigator. It's just someone who knew the law of God and and, and had it down pat. And, And he's coming, Luke tells us, to test Jesus. Maybe as a lawyer, he already knows the answers to the question that he's asking. I I don't know. But he definitely starts in the wrong place. He he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? No, 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 no. Wrong question. You can't do anything to inherit. You inherit by inheriting. And and life is a gift. It's not a transaction. You're going to get given this life. I'm going to give you eternal life, Jesus says. It's not a Black Friday deal. It's a Good Friday gift, even. It's it's, it's a gift for you. So it's the wrong question. You're starting in the wrong place. And and if I was Jesus, I'd have just blown him out of the water, saying, wrong question, start with another one. But Jesus is gracious and compassionate, and he doesn't. He just throws the question back. What do you say? What do you think? If if you're going to know God, walk with God, what what, what do you think? What What do you think life consists of? What do you think this is all about? And the lawyer responds correctly. He says, real simple. You've just got to love God and love people. That's what the Shema says. That's what the Jewish law says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's very simple. Love God and love people. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-huh. Absolutely right. Just love God, love people. Do you know, we, we have made the Bible very, very hard to understand and very easy to live. When actually it's flipped, it's the reverse. It's very, very easy to understand and it's very hard to live. Jesus Jesus says, you're absolutely right, it's all about that. That's what love and life is all about. You love God with everything you've got and then you love everybody around you with everything you've got. That'll do for me, but it's gonna take courage. You're not wired to do it that way. It's gonna take courage. And so he tells his story. He says, there's a man. The man is walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about 17 miles. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet up. And Jericho is about 200 feet down, below sea level. And so it's a, it's a hilly, craggy route. And you didn't walk this route if you could avoid it. Because it was a place where robbers hung out. And everyone knew that, and they're listening and thinking, oh, this man's walking, there's probably something going to happen, and something does happen. He gets robbed, and he gets beaten up, and he gets left for dead. Now, we don't know anything about the guy. We don't know whether he was rich or is poor, whether he was black or white, whether he was gay or straight. We don't know anything about him at all. We know a lot about the people who walk past him. That's what we know about. And then Jesus does something absolutely brilliant. The people who are supposed to help him don't help him. The people that everyone's expecting, they should help him, they should look after him, they should care for him, they should make him more. They don't help him at all. And the person that definitely shouldn't help him, he's the one that gets involved. He's the one that shows courage. Jesus makes the hero a Samaritan. And we think, yeah, well, of course, it's the good Samaritan. Of course, the good Samaritan's the hero. But 
because we've read the Bible and we know the stuff. But actually in Jesus' day, everyone would have been, oh, you made a Samaritan the hero? I mean, these were like the scum of the earth. They were the half-blood cousins that you didn't want to come at Christmas. These, these were the guys who were excluded from anything ceremonial and religious. There were certain times in Jerusalem when a Samaritan couldn't even enter the gates of Jerusalem, let alone the temple, because there was so much bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. In fact, regularly, Samaritans were cursed in the synagogues and prayers were offered that they would not enter eternal life. So these were the scum of the earth. And Jesus is saying, the scum of the earth comes back by and he is the hero because he shows that he has life and he gets involved. Now what's that all about? I don't know. I don't know. I mean preachers have, have, have analyzed this for centuries and preached thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons on this passage of scripture. I, I think it's just that Jesus wants us to change the way we see things. The things that we expect are not always the things that are real. The things that we think are going to happen are not always going to happen. We need to change the way in which we think. What we are programmed to think life is all about is not always what life is all about. Life is definitely not all about boxing people in and saying these people are in and these people are out. It's definitely not about you just having a comfortable life and avoiding anything that's difficult because the, the, the life is found in the mess and in the pain. It's not about avoiding difficulty, it's about getting involved in the things of this world. Jesus says, I want you to think differently. I want you to think about the excluded people and include them. I want you to think about the broken people and bind them up. I want you, I want you to think about the things that I would be doing in this world. I want you to understand that courage is about getting dirty. It's about radical love that touches the people you don't want to touch, that gets involved with the people that you're not involved with. I, I want you to know that it's difficult. You have to give yourself away and it's going to cost. A a any walk with Jesus that doesn't cost you anything is not really a walk with Jesus. I want you to have a different perspective. Life is not about what you can get out of it. It's about what you can give into it. And then you will live. It's going to cost you to have life. It's going to cost you to have community. I mean, you could live an inoculated life and you could spend your life just protecting yourself against anybody else and making sure that you and your immediate family, your nuclear family are well and good and well provided for and you will not live. It's going to cost you to have community. It's going to cost you your time and your stuff. It's going to cost you to invite friends to celebrate Jesus with you this Christmas. Because it would be so much neater if you could control the environment. It's going to cost you to invite someone to this gathering or to the next gathering because they'll just think you're some kind of weirdo nutter because you probably are. It's, it's going to cost you to stop in the street and pray for somebody because the Holy Spirit prompts you because they will definitely think you're off your rocker. But, but that's, what, that's where the stuff of life is. It's going to cost you to make up a hamper this Christmas and give it to somebody anonymously who is not going to really experience Christmas because they haven't got a lot of cash, but you've got plenty 
It's going to cost you to do that. It's going to cost you of inconvenience and time. And it may be a little bit embarrassing. I don't know. But, it, but, but that's the stuff of life. It's going to cost you to stop boxing people in and saying, oh, well, they're that kind of person and they're this kind of person and they don't belong to my kind of tribe. But, but, but it, it always does. But that's the stuff of life. And what you will find is that when you begin to intervene and when you begin to get involved and when you begin to take life in your hands and when you begin to have courage, it will train your faith muscles and the kingdom of God will begin to break out wherever you are. Because life is the excluded getting included and the broken getting bound up and the prisoners getting released and the poor having good news preached to them, and the lost being found, and cooperating with what God is actually doing in this world, not with what he's not doing in this world, because God is not passive. So Jesus says, there's a, there's a Samaritan. Why, don't, why doesn't this stuff just happen all around us? I mean, why don't you and I always constantly allowing the kingdom of God to break in? Why are people not being healed? Why are people not being saved? Why, why are people not being provided for? Why are we not taking courage in our hands and just entering into this life of Jesus? Why is that not happening? I'm assuming it's not, because if it is, you can correct me later. But why, why is this stuff just not happening and breaking out all around us? Let me try three things from this passage of scripture, then I'll shut up, we'll worship Jesus and go and have coffee. First thing, maybe it doesn't happen because of church. So there's a priest, Jesus says, and he's walking probably in the opposite direction from the guy who got beaten up. He's going from, from Jericho to Jerusalem. Almost certainly he's going to serve in the temple on rotation. And probably, we don't know because it doesn't say, but probably what's happening here is he sees a guy who looks as if he may be dead and he thinks, well, I'm not going to get involved. Because if I get involved and if I even go so close as to touch that person and he is dead, I will be ceremonially unclean and I will not be able to serve in the temple and I'll miss my rotation and I've been waiting a year and no one else will sub in or sub out. They won't swap. You know, it's just difficult these days in the temple. And that's what he's thinking as he passes this guy who's lying down so he doesn't go near him and he doesn't help him and he doesn't live is what Jesus is saying. Isn't that so often what happens? I mean, it's crazy. If you read the New Testament, that's what happens. The religious leaders are very soon going to kill Jesus. And if you read the passage very, very carefully, ridiculously, they're going to want him dead on the Friday. And it's really important for them. They want him dead on the Friday, and they bend over backwards to get Jesus dead on the Friday so they can be ceremonially clean to celebrate the Passover by Sunday. And when you begin to think about it, it's crazy stuff, isn't it? We're going to kill God so we can honor God, well, on Friday so we can honor God on Sunday. We're going to kill God on Friday so we can honor God on Sunday by being clean. But isn't that what happens in church the whole time? And we, we're, going to, we're going to make sure that we exclude the people who are going to cause us difficulty and Make our worship services noisy and exactly. 
We're just gonna, you know, people who bring their dogs on ropes into our ship. We're gonna, you know, people who wander, we're going to make sure that we don't want any of that stuff. So we're going to, and we kill God on Friday to make sure we're ceremonially clean on Sunday. And, and we walk by on the other side of the road and the guy can just die because we've got to be right before God in the temple. So we'll let him die. And all the rules of the religious people that were set up to honor God and to bless people suddenly get used for completely the opposite purpose. And it happens all the time. Listen, it so often happens that our structures get worshipped when they were never meant to. And, and, and if the way we gather on Sundays or the way we do missional communities or the way we do membership or the way we do anything that's structured in any way, shape, or form in church leaves people lying dead by the side of the road while we do our thing. If any of that happens, we need to sack the structures, ditch the gatherings, and rethink the way in which we are. Because it just prevents us living. Second thought. The second thought is that... um, Maybe it's respectability that prevents us living. I don't know. This, is, this really is speculation and will get me into trouble. But the Levite, I think, I think what's happening is the Levite just sees the priest. And the Levite is following behind the priest and the priest is the Levite's boss. And the priest sees, the Levite sees the priest behaving in the particular way. He's not going to touch that guy because he's going to be so... And he thinks, well, I, I, I might be prone to help this guy. But my boss hasn't helped this guy. And my boss, it would be slightly awkward and embarrassing if I show up with this injured, half-dead guy in Jerusalem and everyone knows that I follow the priest and the priest walked by on the other side of the road. And that's not going to be very helpful for me. And so what he does is he says, well, I'm not doing it either. I don't want to get involved. I don't want it to be awkward. I don't want it to be difficult. And, 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 and we do the same thing all the time. We allow what other people are doing to become the norm and authority of our lives rather than what God is asking us to do. So we, we, we want to fit in and we want to please people. So we take certain jobs and we live in particular areas and we take up popular hobbies and we fit in and we fit in, but we were never asked to fit in. We were asked to stand out and be different. And we get controlled by culture we get controlled by what everybody else is doing. You know, it's always been true. It's, 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 it's in excessively true in our culture that we're obsessed by what everybody else is doing. You know, that's why Facebook works because we're basically nosy. We want to know what everyone else is doing so that we can either do it or not do it. We, that, that's, that's why, you know, your Twitter status is important. We want to know where everyone else is. That's why your Instagram thing. You know, we've got this wiki morality. We, we, we analyze our morals by what everyone else says. We're, that, that, you know, we're TripAdvisor. We're not bothered whether, you know, uh, uh, some institution tells us this is a good hotel to go to. We're bothered whether our mates think it's great because we're interested in what everybody else is doing. And it's nonsense it's nonsense we should be interested in what God is doing and what God is inviting us to do and more often than not what God is asking us to do is counter cultural 
It's not what everyone else is doing. It's not what everyone else is thinking. It's not what everyone else is buying. It's not what everyone else is selling. It's what the Father is doing, what Jesus is doing, what the Holy Spirit is prompting. And men and women are still lying, dying on the other side of the road. And we're afraid of being different. Third thing, and I'll finish with this, is duty. Duty. Duty prevents us doing our duty. (laughs) So here's the question, and we'll land here. In the story, who are you supposed to be? In, in the story, who are you supposed to be? We could, I mean, the 9.30 did interaction at this point. And if the 9.30 did interaction, you can do interaction. Who are you supposed to be in the story? The Good Samaritan. That's what I used to think. The Good Samaritan. That's who we're supposed to be in the story. We're supposed to gird up our loins, have some courage, find people who need help. We've got to be the Good Samaritan. But here's the thing. If all I ever am is the Good Samaritan, it's incredibly limited. Because what happens is my ministry and my mission becomes a project and an event and a person. And so I've got to do things and I've got, to, I've got to make things happen and I've got to love people and I've got to serve people and, and before long I burn out and I give up and I cop out and I end up resenting the task because it's too big, too long, too impossible. You see, I'm not the Good Samaritan, Jesus is. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. He, he's the one who stops and he's the one who stoops and he's the one who heals and he's the one who lifts And he's the one who rescues. And he's the one who pays. That's the gospel, isn't it? He's the one who stepped into my world when I was broken, when I couldn't do it myself. He's the one who stepped into my life when I was sinful and rebellious. He's the one who came and he intervened and he took courage and he moved into the neighborhood and he loved me enough to bind me up and to save my life. And and I'm just the good Samaritan in, in, in that I involve myself in the life of Jesus. That's how I'm the Good Samaritan. That I get involved in what he's doing, that I receive him into my life and I let him flow through my life. You see, if it's my love, it's, it's fundamentally a selfish love. It's a transactional love. I, I'm gonna do things because I get to feel good about them. I'm gonna do things because I get things out of them. But if it's Jesus' love, it's perfect. If it's Jesus' provision, it's perfect. If it's Jesus' love flowing through me, it's perfect love, it's perfect interaction, it's perfect intervention. And it changes everything. And it stops being a duty that I have to do and it becomes a lifestyle that just flows out of me. And it's grace. And it's not law. And we get to walk together into this world. And that's life. Walking with Jesus. Seeing the things that he's seeing and doing the stuff that he's doing and cooperating with the things that he's calling me into and serving the purposes that he's serving and changing the world. And that's not religion. That's not meeting to sing songs and listen to sermons. 
That's walking every single moment of every single day with Jesus at the heart. And one day, I will have had my time. And one day, there'll be a coffin at the front, and there'll be, I hope, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. (laughs) And a huge spread food. I don't want any of those quiche things. But just proper food. And one day, my earthly time will be done. And I hope that I would have lived. Because I didn't inoculate myself against life. I didn't hide myself away. And I didn't do it as a duty. I just remembered where I'd come from. And what I'd been rescued from. and cooperated with him who saved my soul so that others might live. That's living. Let's pray. Just in this, uh, in this moment, why don't we take a moment to reflect? Where are you? Some of us are still on the side of the road, beaten up and uh, lost, sick, in need of a savior and you know, give you an opportunity in a moment just to receive the rescuing and the healing and the forgiveness of the Savior of the world because he's here. And others of us, we've, um, we've got so caught up in this Jesus life that we've forgotten this Jesus life. It's become an event become something we do, not who we are. We've forgotten from where we've come. And an opportunity just to reconsider. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come. Minister to our hearts. Help us to be restorers, those who intervene those who get involved, those who get down and dirty, those who become the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. Help us to stop and stoop and care and release. Just in the quietness, if you would love to experience meat and be changed by the Savior of the world, why don't you pray this prayer in your heart after me? If you know that today you're broken, and you're beaten up, and you're done, and you can't do this life thing, and you're desperate for it, then just pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you to come and save me, change me, heal me. I need to know what it feels like to live 
and I know that you're the only way. I trust you as the savior of the world and I invite you in to be my friend and my leader. Jesus, I will follow you from this day onwards and for the rest of my life. I mean this. Amen.